In the fields where the boy David had led his flock, shepherds were still keeping watch by night. Through the silent hours, they talked together of the promised Savior and prayed for the coming of the king to David's throne. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. At these words, visions of glory fill the minds of the listening shepherds. The Deliverer has come to Israel. Power, exaltation, triumph are associated with his coming. But the angel must prepare them to recognize their Savior in poverty and humiliation. This shall be a sign unto you, he says. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. This heavenly messenger had quieted their fears. He had told them how to find Jesus. With tender regard for their human weakness, he had given them time to become accustomed to the divine radiance. Then the joy and glory could no longer be hidden. The whole plain was lighted up with the bright shining of the hosts of God. Earth was hushed, and heaven stooped to listen to the song. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward all men. Let's all turn to our hymnals or look on the screen and sing, Angels We Have Heard on High.
Amen. Thank you. Good morning. Happy Sabbath. I'd like to thank everyone that came today. It uh, looks like the Christmas season, doesn't it? <laughs> Snow is, is nice, but some people don't like to drive in it. His name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. You know, Paul speaks in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 about the light of the knowledge of the glory of God is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. From the days of eternity, the Lord Jesus Christ was one with the Father. He was the image of God, the image of his greatness and majesty, the outshining of his glory. It was to manifest this glory that he came to our world, to the sin-darkened earth he came to reveal the light of God's love, to be God with us. Therefore, it was prophesied of him, his name shall be called Emmanuel. Now, depending on who you talk to, uh, Christmas means different things to different people. But if you ask most children what they think Christmas is about, what would it be? Presents, gifts. The reality is, though, it is about gifts. Who has given us the biggest gift of all? I think John 3.16 sums it up the best. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God the Father gave his son to be God with us, He sent Jesus into this dark earth to reclaim it, that this world might be brought back to God from the deceptive power of Satan. In 2 Corinthians, again, chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says, In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan has tried to blind men so they can't see the true love of God. But in order to reclaim this world, it could not be done by force, for that's not God's way. The law of love cannot be commanded because only love awakens love. But Satan's way is to deceive And if that doesn't work, he uses force. But God's way is love. And he freely gives us that love in the form of gifts. And I'd like just to share about four verses with you of some gifts that he gives to us. And they're very familiar. Romans 6, 23. This is kind of Satan's gift. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Ephesians 2.8, very familiar. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And then there's James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. 
And finally, 1 Peter 4.10. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We are supposed to share the gifts God has given to us, aren't we? And Israel was supposed to be that nation that revealed God's character and the gifts to share with anyone that would accept them. They were to be a witness like Abraham, Joseph, and Daniel were to the heathen nations around them that didn't know God. And concerning the temple in Jerusalem, Isaiah 56, 7 says this. The Lord said through the prophet Isaiah, Mine house shall be called an house of prayer for all peoples. God is inviting everyone, isn't he? And he always has. You know, Jesus came to this world to break down the partition walls between Jew and Gentile by mingling with and eating with and preaching and staying with. Each one, he broke down these walls. And for more than a thousand years, the Jewish people had awaited the Savior's coming. And upon this event, they had rested their brightest hopes in song, in prophecy, in their temple rites, in household prayer. They had enshrined his name. And yet, at his coming, they knew him not. Isaiah 53, 2. He had no form nor comeliness. And they saw in him no beauty that they should desire him. John 1.11. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Because Jesus wasn't what they expected. We know there was a remnant at his first coming. But it was very small, wasn't it? The shepherds. Of course, God revealed himself to them. But the wise men, you remember the two older people that were expecting Jesus? Simeon and Anna. And I'm sure there was others. But it wasn't the majority, was it? But we know even this small group of people caused an excitement that Satan even tried to destroy the baby Jesus through the jealousy of a king that heard of the birth through the wise man. Jesus was born on this earth. He lived here for a little over 33 years as God with us. He died for us and he rose again for us. Now, fast forward approximately 2,000 years. It's our day. And we are awaiting Christ's coming again, aren't we? We too rest all our hopes on this event. Do we see any similarities to his first advent? What's our name imply? We call ourselves Seventh-day Adventists. Could we make some of the same mistakes as Israel? Israel had the advantage of prophecy to know of his first coming. And we too have prophecy to guide us. We read in Matthew chapter 24 that Jesus was prophesying about what would happen in the future. He was talking to his disciples. 
And I would just like to turn there in Matthew 24, verse 15. It says, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. And then he goes on to explain, Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. He was warning his disciples of the destruction of Jerusalem, that they would have time to flee if they understood the prophecy. And there's a warning here for us also that we should understand. But we want to be like the wise men that understood the prophecy of Jesus' first coming and the first Christians that listened and understood Christ's words when it was time to flee Jerusalem before the Roman armies came and destroyed it. Not one Christian was lost. So what can we learn from Israel to to avoid their mistakes? And I've thought of three things that I think are important, and I know there's more, but we, I'll just focus on these three. Number one, Israel relied on their own works for salvation by their rituals and ceremonies. And they mistook presumption for faith. You know, Satan has a counterfeit for everything, doesn't he? And more than one. He has, even as a counterfeit for faith, presumption. Hebrews 11.6 says, It is impossible without faith to please God. But like Israel, we can trust in our rituals and our works instead of trusting in Christ's righteousness. We need true faith, don't we? By claiming God's promises in obedience. I've heard it said this way. Faith is surrendering our will to God and a simple trust in his pledged word. Are we reading God's word and are we taking it for what it says and trust simply trusting in it? Also, looking beyond difficulties and hanging on to Jesus in every emergency. So when emergencies and difficulties come, and they will come, won't they? Are we trusting in Jesus and hanging on to every promise that we have? So let's not trust in our works like Israel, but let's have a simple trust in God's word. Number two, what one thing I've thought of, the leaders didn't understand the prophecies, did they? Therefore, they misinterpreted Christ's second coming for his first And they were not expecting Jesus to come in such a humble manner. Even the disciples had a hard time understanding. They were looking for an earthly conqueror. Could we misunderstand things? I think we have good advice in Acts 17.11. We need to be like the Bereans. It says, now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. 
You know, just recently I was listening to a Christian radio station and the host was speaking with a guest and admitted that they were surprised by some of the world conditions and the events taking place right now because they were not expecting this in light of their Bible understanding. And I thought that was an honest admission, but do we need to be surprised? You know, God gave us another gift, the gift of prophecy. Amos 3.7 says, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. But is prophecy enough? We need balance in our lives. Look with me at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And starting in verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. What is the most important thing? Is that we have love. Any of these gifts that we, God gives us are not an end in themselves. But they're necessary to help us grow in our faith. So if I could think of one thing is that we could do to help. Would be to strive for daily Bible study. To be like the Bereans and daily prayer. And number three. And this might be the most dangerous one of all. And it's the most dangerous, I believe, for us, too. The Pharisees didn't realize their true condition. They were self-righteous, prideful, etc. Because, after all, weren't they the chosen generation? The chosen nation of God? But what does Revelation chapter 3 say? If you go... Revelation 3, you're familiar with this. It says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. This is speaking to our generation, but it sounds like the Pharisees, doesn't it? We can have the same problems today as Israel had at Jesus' first coming. But in the same chapter, God gives us hope. In Revelation 3, verse 18, it says, here's the answer. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with salve, that thou mayest see. We need gold tried in the fire, the white raiment, the salve. The gold is faith and love. The white raiment is the righteousness of Christ. 
The eye salve is spiritual discernment to see the wiles of Satan, to detect sin, and to see truth and obey it. And finally, in Revelation uh, 3, verse 20, the same chapter, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. You know, God has given us many gifts, faith and hope, love, his only begotten son, eternal life. How much more can he give us? You know, as we're living in these uh, unprecedented times, we all have struggles and we all need hope. And there's a verse I would like to leave you with today as I close and that is Romans 8.31. And it says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? We all need to hold that promise in our hearts. Amen.
Christ is coming with clouds and with great glory. A multitude of shining angels will attend him. He will come to raise the dead and to change the living saints from glory to glory. He will come to honor those who have loved him and kept his commandments and to take them to himself. He has not forgotten them nor his promise. There will be a rethinking of the family chain. When we look upon our dead, we may think of the morning when the trump of God shall sound, when the dead in Christ shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. 1 Corinthians 15:52. A little longer, and we shall see the king in his beauty. A little longer, and he will wipe away all tears from our eyes. A little longer, and he will present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Jude one twenty four. Wherefore, when he gave the signs of his coming, he said, When these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Our closing hymn is Joy to the World. Um, It's number 125. Please stand.
be seated. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for it is joy to the world that you've come to this earth. You've died for us, rose again, and you are coming back again for us. Lord, we thank you for every gift you have given us and just ask that we would receive them in our lives. And Lord, that you would work in our hearts to grow closer, to love you more and more with each passing day. I just pray for each person that is here, that you would bless them through this week and guide each one through this Sabbath day. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.